Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place, the Legend of Korra. Hello everybody and welcome back to Streaming in Place. Today we are talking about the Legend of Korra, book three, Change, episodes seven and eight, original airbenders and the terror within. So uh, our main story is the terror within, but first we have a little standalone romp. I would say, uh, with original airbenders and my, this is how I know that my experience watching these shows with y'all, uh, but also specifically with watching them with my parents has been a positive, a net positive for, for my quarantine bubble. My mom, I think is this close to buying a stuffed animal appa because they've yeah. started showing up in her feeds on her, like, social media and stuff, she's like, oh, look, it's, like, it's from the thing. And she's like, oh, that looks like it's really soft. <laughs> I'm like, yep, Allison has one. Noel has one. Yep, they're, they're very large. But I'm like, well, if you want one, I'm like, I don't, like, they're very huggable. They're a huggable size, which is important. So, so goodness knows I was all ready for a, a Air Bison like focused episode. Uh, Allison, what did you think? As you, as you hug your appa, what did you think of original Airbenders? Uh, well, first of all, I just kept yelling, baby air bison, over and over and over again. Because, oh my God. Woo! Marcus wants to know, has anyone made one to scale yet? And I, like, where would you keep a two-scale stuffed air bison? Maybe a two-scale stuffed baby air bison. Okay. Maybe. Maybe you just need the scale. Maybe it's be, like, a gifted to a baby, and then it'll seem like it's in the right scale. So, like, next to the baby, it'll seem huge. Yes. Yes. If you assume the baby is ang size, Exactly. Yes. Then you then you scale... Oh, the, the cosplay options. There's so many. Yes. Yeah. And then it would be useful, you know, for three weeks before the baby grew out of that scale. Yes. Um, grew out of their ang costume. Still be yeah. Very cute. Yes. Very cute. Almost makes me want to reproduce. Um, <laughs> like, it's just an incredibly cute idea. Uh, I really liked um, the original Airbenders, even if it was not about a boy band, uh, which I was trying to figure out where I got that joke. And I realized I think it's from a, a lyric from No Diggity by Blackstreet, mm-hmm. um, who I, I'm not sure I would call a boy band. Anyway, they're not a boy band. However, they did form camaraderie, come together mm-hmm. as a team. This one was satisfying because it, it just hit so many tropes um, in a really efficient, um, fresh feeling kind of way. Like it was all very comfortable and familiar, uh, but just really well done. I just really it, it's sort of the epitome of one of those episodes where you like. This isn't anything particularly special, but it's definitely an A. Like it's just exactly what it is and it does what it does very well mm-hmm. um i enjoyed the hell out of it noel how about you was was it fun revisiting this one yeah i think that's i think allison hits the nail on the head really well is that it doesn't do anything particularly fresh and in some regards it like retreads a little bit of tenzin's anxieties from season from book two a little bit and his his ability to inspire terrible trainers <laughs> but <laughs> Not be a great trainer himself, but also the limits therein. But I think that the other thing about it is, is just what Allison said, is that it's all very good and very silly and very funny. And it has baby Sky Bison. And it just checks all the boxes about this kind of really kind of comfort food sort of episode of, yeah, we've seen all this before. Of course, there are poachers. 
of course the Earth Queen wants exotic meats. All this kind of stuff that you're just like, yeah, this all tracks and none of it feels novel, but the entire execution of it is so well done that you just go, yes, yes, this is a good way to spend 22 minutes. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun episode. And like you guys have both said, is this stuff that we've seen before? Yeah. Do I care? No, because they did it well. I'm here for a training montage. I'm here for, you know, you know, the one more one team member. So just got to get over the last part of the obstacle course and they just can't. But now they got to pull the gang together. Gosh, darn it. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, there's a reason it's it's an oldie but a goodie because it like it works. Uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a trope for a reason. Uh, having throwing on top of that, the continuing thread with Janora about like, hey, Dude, I'm an air air bending master. Obviously, there is only one of them in the world. Let's be very clear. I should be the second one. Come on, <laughs> you're being a bit of a dick about this, Dad. Uh, was was you know? I think that was an appropriate way to feed into that. Uh, the as far as getting us a little more connected to our new airbenders, I think it works really well. And then just you know, there's lots of baby air bison. Air bisons, who air bison. you know, no air bisons, because yeah. I'm I'm channeling Kai here, so now we have a reason to like Kai, uh, even if he does have bad grammar, um, and and yet yes, he's a lovable scamp, and Janora has has a crush on him and everything, and apparently there uh, it's it, he's her boyfriend, which Tenzin is not ready for, uh, but but the watching the fight scene, I think it works really well. There's an appropriate level of stakes. Janora saying, save the air bison. Like, I mean, it's all very good. I It was delightful. It was super fun. Uh, I was very here for it. Marcus asks, same question that my mom asked. Uh, I was wondering where the bison parents were when the babies were stolen. So that clearly they they waited for them to go get food or something or, you know, and, and then, you know, grab them up real quick and... If in case you weren't sure, when they start ramming the truck, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to piss off a sky bison, a sky bison, mommy and daddy. That would be bad. Uh, so I, th- I thought this did a good job of showing us, um, you know, what sky bison are like, like what these, you know, what the di- some of the dynamics are when they're not primarily known to us as the good friend and or pet of a main character. So like. You know, you can tell Appa, hey, Appa, please stop. Uh, you, you're you not going to tell these bison to, to stop. And there was an appropriate level of uh, stakes. And um, they, they're about to give up to this. So I appreciated it. Um, uh, Marcus also says, though, Janora was in a cage with an air bison baby. So I was wondering about her saving the bison first statement. That's true. Like, save the bison. Well, because she could protect that bison, though. Like, if they if something happened, she could you know, help that bison, but the other bison did not have a protector. So, but yeah, you make a good point. Um, Noel, any other thoughts on this one? I think that the other thing to kind of take away from this episode is Tenzin's discussion with Pema about rebuilding the Air Nation and the difficulties therein of convincing people to become Air Nomads, uh, which is something we've discussed off and on this season. But I think that Tenzin was just unaware of how you need to shift this idea of opening up the air nation basically to allow new folks in especially folks who are semi being conscripted so they don't go back to prison mm-hmm. <laughs> um or like a private army um so i think that that 
that discussion about you need to like really do something. Tenzin needs to really do something to make them feel like they're part of a culture and just reciting stories at people isn't going to do it. Um, that one era acolyte otaku who answers every question um, <laughs> is already all in. You don't need to convince him. It's everyone else that you need to convince. Um, and I think that that's a really good sort of thread for Tenzin and for the show to think about in terms of what does it mean to basically revive a culture that hasn't existed for almost 200 years when you want to bring in like the actual people who are a part of that culture because they have magical powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that exploring what all that means is a really good idea. And it opens up even larger discussions about like how the show positions like, wait, what is the whole deal with Zalfu and metal benders? And doesn't this feel a little exclusionary? This is a weird sort of like enclave of very specific people living together. That's weird. Maybe we should think about that too. Um, which led and in, leads into discussion about like Opal and how sh- she fit into that society, given that she didn't seem to have any bending prior to becoming an airbender. So I think that there's a lot of like really interesting things about culture assimilation happening this season, but it's all really subtextual, which is arguably to the season's credit, um, since we've got cool bad guys this season. (laughs) Allison, uh, any thoughts, final thoughts on this episode or just Tenzin's general pitch of, let me tell you a story about a guy. Remember the story about the guy who didn't eat? And at the end of the story, he didn't eat some more. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I, uh, I think that, this while it is revisiting familiar territory this is just such a great Tenzin episode because it sort of wrestles with he's wrestling with his own insecurities and then finds himself unexpectedly confronted with boomies um and it's a nice reminder that like while there are no pov characters in this series we certainly get Tenzin's perspective on a lot of things and um it's a good reminder that that's the lens that we have and a good reminder for him that he can only see so much really. Um, But I specifically want to call out my favorite moment of the episode, which is also just one of my favorite moments of both series, I think, Um, which is in the fight with the poachers when I am sorry, I do not remember his name, but the airbender whose head is shaved because he thinks it's not optional feels the (laughs) trap coming Mm-hmm. Um, and they go all matrix for a minute. It's not only an incredibly satisfying visual gag, it's just a really smart piece of writing because it underlines exactly what Pema and Tenzin are talking about. It underlines a little bit of what um Tenzin and Boomy talk about, and that these things have to be a process. Um, and and that moment is sort of both, right? He would not have shaved his head if he thought it was optional, but he would never have discovered how useful it can be and started talking enthusiastically about what it did for him in this situation. Um, and that's what's really going to make it stick, right? Like one led to the other. They are both in, in a way right. Um, and that you do have to push it a little bit But when you give people the opportunity to make discoveries and evolve on their own, that's where the real strong connection is going to come from. Um, So that's the like, hmm, reading on what is essentially a very funny joke (laughs) that also Mm -hmm. is under other implications. But I loved I loved that moment. Yeah, no, it was super fun. Um, 
Marcus, I think, hits the nail on the head. Tenzin reminds me of accomplished professors who only teach because they have to, but they're not very good at it. He just wants to meditate and stuff. And yeah, so like, I just I just want to do my research. Oh, but no one will pay me to do, I have to teach. Okay, here's a bunch of lectures. I'm going to hand you off to the TAs, which is, oh, oh, Milo. Milo the TA. Um, so that, Look to that the just... left of you. Look to the right of you. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's a very good analogy. Um, the last thing I'll mention with this one is because we haven't mentioned it yet. I was looking over IMDb, pulling them up for these episodes, uh, and I realized we have not mentioned that Pema is voiced by Maria Bamford, um, who we love uh, at the Televerse. So yay, Maria Bamford! Just in case, I don't know how many more Pema centric episodes are going to come up in the run. I don't really remember. So in case we don't say it in future episodes, Maria Bamford is great. Yay, Maria Bamford. Um, let's move on to our next episode, though, and that is, you know, where we get our big, like, group fight, and yes, other things are happening, we get the the mystery and the reveal of Ai Wei and everything, but for me, it's just all about that central fight scene, and it's really, it's really terrific, and I just can't, I mean, I don't remember if this happens, I assume it does, I don't remember if it happens, but I cannot wait for when Bolin finally metal bends, it's gonna be great. Our, our, our good boys trying. Um, Allison, I'll throw to you first. What did you think of the Emmy within? Uh, so exciting. Re- one of the... It no, was sorry, a rem- the terror within. The terror within. It was crazy when that giant polar bear showed up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, it... Uh, was really bracing. It reminded me a lot of some of the early great sequences in Korra in book one. Um were in that it felt thoughtful it felt like they were all actively problem solving which is to me one of the marks of a truly great fight sequence in any medium um if you can watch people sort of solving problems on the fly and um and making the best of a terrible situation uh it was so satisfying to see um sue and lynn doing their thing together that was really pretty great, even if they backslid for a little bit there. Um, at the end, it was still, and I'm sure there'll be quite a dust up about that, but it was still really nice to just see them together and doing their thing. Um, and I'm very into uh, uh, Bolin time, <laughs> which is a lot like Dame time, my favorite time for basketball fans. Uh, <laughs> Bolin time is definitely Dame time. That's great. He's clutch. Bolin is clutch um big thumbs up for me i liked both these episodes a lot mm-hmm. Noel, what did you think so watching this i was struck by just my my favorite thing about this episode in addition to the action sequence which i think is really generally well done and well storyboarded and well directed and has a bunch of really neat elements that pay off like that that clutch shot that you mentioned uh that that allison mentioned that bolin does which is great um but the other thing i really really like about it is that given how the fight works the episode goes to great lengths to show that Zaheer and his um, comrades know when to cut and run. They don't try to make a last stand. They don't try to eke out a victory. It's just, no, this is, this is, this is a lose-lose situation if we stay here. It's time to go. Um, and that shows like a degree of restraint and professionalism 
in this kind of an organization that you don't often get um, with these kinds of like supervillain team ups. You get someone who wants to push the envelope, but everyone's on the same page. And I think that that's just really scary, um, especially for opposite someone like Korra, who's just like, oh, no, I'm going to go get them. And it's just like, no, you need a plan. <laughs> they are clearly very well organized. Um, so I really like all of that. And I think that the ways in which that the fight gets resolved to demonstrate, to push them to that point of we've lost our target it's time to leave as opposed to we're going to try to get her again um, within the same like set piece, basically Um, again, just speaks to how clearly motivated they are, even if we don't know what those motivations are. So I really like it on that, that level of just kind of establishing a more, even more character stuff than what we've gotten before with them when they do these sorts of operations. The other thing I really, really like about it, however, is Iway's involvement um, because up to this point it's been like four four weirdos in super prisons doing something but now someone else is involved and he's in on the plan he's got a bomb he's got a booby trap he's got an escape tunnel he's got all this stuff um, and suddenly this is a much bigger conspiracy than four people and that should be really scary um, but the episode really gently underplays that as a concept because everyone's focused on Zaheer and figuring out the Yahweh thing. So this idea that there's something bigger at play, that there are more actors involved than just these four, is a big deal, I think. But it's handled really deftly, I like, I think. And so I really, really like that aspect of it as well. Um, and then, yeah, so I think it's just really, really good. And I really like it. My only sticking point, my only sticking point is I'm confused at how lava bending doesn't evaporate Mingwa's water arms. Like, it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to me that she still has water arms by the end of that fight because it seems very hot over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that to consider. That doesn't make any sense at all. But maybe it just speaks to the power of their lava bender that she's able to control the direction of the heat such that it. No, it's just, no, no, no. He can't. He's 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 more of a brute force type. He seems like the brute force one. Yeah. On the, on the crew. Um. Um. I forget his name. Hang on. I have it up here somewhere. Uh, Gazan. So he seems more yeah. brute force. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You're right. Um. So yeah. Don't don't overthink it. Yeah. No. Uh, exactly. Don't overthink it. It looks really cool. Yes. Um. Marcus says I like that they won. That the team Cora, you know, team Avatar won. So often when you have a fight against the villains at this point of the season, the villains win just to show how dangerous they are. So it was a nice subversion there. They also had some nameless benders actually be effective, which I noted as well, Marcus. Um, and then Marcus says, as soon as they said it was an inside job, I immediately thought it would be the guy who can sense the truth and will be the key figure in finding the traitor. Um, so here's my thing about Iway. At the end of the episode, and I think, Noel, you make an excellent point that this highlights that Zaheer and his group are smart. They are, they are smart and they are patient. And that is makes it much, much more dangerous. And Korra is not uh, making the wisest of choices, certainly at the end of the episode. So having... The only thing that she really knows about, uh, about Sue is that she seems cool. She's a really good metal bender. 
And she didn't know that her number, like, two or three in command was a traitor and working against them. So, like, that seems like maybe you should listen to Lynn, the person that you know has good judgment, even if she's been having some family issues around her sister. I mean, it's just so... Oh, at the end of the episode, I'm just yelling at my TV. Just court. What? No, no. What do you do? This is a bad idea. Bad idea. Um. Yeah. Did Did you guys have any other thoughts about about this episode or about Iway? Um. Scary. Scary. Mm-hmm. Um. I like. <laughs> I really enjoyed the moment. Um, between Varric and Mako, like it's nice to acknowledge exactly what a piece of shit this guy is, even if he remains really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, the Airbender detector was got <laughs> to airbend into it. It's very, it's very funny. Um, it reminds me of those things you see at tourist traps. Um. And specifically in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is what I'm thinking, but I'm sure you can find them many places where it's like, this is a country weather predictor. If it's wet, it's raining. If it's cold, it's snowing. But you'll see it'll it'll be like a rope or a belt or like Mm -hmm. something silly like that. And it's goofy and whatever. Um, It reminded me of that. (laughs) Um, You know what? People will buy it. That's a specific mm-hmm. pool, and I really appreciate it. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, it's. I spent a lot of my childhood in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I've been to every uh, rural tourist trap that this fine state of Michigan has to offer. They sell a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Noel, any final thoughts on this episode? Um, No, I just thought it was the last episode that aired on TV, which is yeah. a great way to go out. Like, it's a solid episode to never be back on TV again for the rest of the season on. But yeah. So on that elegant transition, why yeah. don't you tell us a bit about, uh, obviously, I know about this because I was watching, yeah. we, were, we were watching it at the time. Um, but Allison, and I'm sure many of our listeners do not know about this. So what was what's the sitch? What was going on? Okay. So let's like, I need to back all the way up to like the start of this, start of this season um, is that Book three got a big, flashy, cool trailer. A week later, Nickelodeon was like, it's coming out. (laughs) That trailer did not have a release date. It was just a trailer. Um, There was no Comic-Con, like, build up for it like they had been doing for the first two seasons. Um, And then they were just like, here's a trailer. The next week it's going to come out with three episodes, and we're going to do two episodes a week. Um... And all of that is because, maybe because Mundo Nick, which is Nickelodeon's Spanish um, Spanish language branch, accidentally leaked dubbed versions of basically like the first six episodes of book three. Um, and they all got ended up online where they were torrented, gift, they got fan subbed real quickly. You could watch them on YouTube. Um, they were just out there and main branch Nickelodeon panicked basically and just pushed it all out, um, as quickly as possible to try to get ahead of that. Except it kept happening. <laughs> um, the, the, the episodes kept getting leaked, even though they were staying ahead of, they were trying to stay ahead. The episodes kept getting leaked anyway. Um, so that all kept happening over the cross across the first couple of weeks of season three. Um, at this point, um, Nickelodeon went, 
yeah, you're off the schedule. Just yanked it. And there was no explanation. There was zero explanation for what happened, um, for why they pulled it off. So Konetsko and Brian Konetsko and Michael DiMartino, through their respective social media platforms, were just like, it's not canceled. We promise it is not canceled. We will talk to you about it at Comic-Con, but it is not canceled. Um, but it is also moving strictly digital. So you can only watch it on Nickelodeon's website or you can only buy episodes through your preferred um, digital platform. So at the time, this was in like 2014. So Amazon and iTunes were basically the only place to buy stuff. Um, maybe Google Play. I don't remember if that was up. I think it was up by then. Anyway, episodes 9 through 13 were pulled from the schedule. Didn't exist online. The reasons being, people kind of assumed... One of three things. First being Nickelodeon cited a ratings issue. Um, that the show just wasn't doing well enough to justify staying on the air. But they'd already bought and paid for these episodes. And book four was already like halfway through production at this point. So it's just like, we might as well. Um, the other reason is that they were just, they were tired of chasing the episode leaks. And were just like, screw it. It doesn't matter. We're going to minimize our damage as much as possible. And there. So we're going to deal with it that way. The third thing I can't get into yet. <laughs> we will know what the third thing is when we get to it, um, which I think happens tomorrow. <laughs> um, but we will get to that third thing. But it basically amounts to a weird content shift of tone that the show just becomes let's say a little more adult than maybe Nickelodeon was comfortable with, which leads to larger questions about Nickelodeon not paying attention to this production in any way, shape or form, which either speaks to Nickelodeon's lack of oversight or the fact that they just trusted Konetsko and DiMartino to produce something that was going to be in line with Nickelodeon brand standards. And then they kind of went a little dark, um, a little intense, um, but we'll see that. I think next. Yeah. I think we see that tomorrow. Um, cause this was episode eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking about episode 10, I think. Um, so we'll see, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when you watch episode 10, but all of this is to say that Nickelodeon just pulled it. Um, and this continued into book four, uh, where it was only available digitally for half of book four. And then like the last four to five episodes of book four were actually put on TV. It's a wild story. It's so weird. Um, but there are various conspiracy theories about why and everything, but it basically just amounts to Nickelodeon just didn't know what to do with it. And then they cut the budget for season four, um, halfway through season four's production. Um, so yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And so it's a they, mess. It's a mess. Um, I was, I benefited from the fact that I had screeners for all of book three and I think almost all of book four. So the shift didn't bother me that much, but for a lot of people, it was just like, there was no good way to watch it um, mm -hmm. anymore. Aside from if you had regional access to Nick.com. Um, but if you didn't have regional access to Nick.com, you had to buy it, which is awful. Um, so Yeah. It's, it was all very weird, and it was all really, really scary when it was happening. Yeah. Remember when, like, oh, no, it leaked online was a thing that yeah. studios worried about? Like, I, like I, at the time, even, I remember feeling like, 
you know that most people are not watching it online, right? Most people are just going to sit at their TV and watch. So, like, I know these Game of Thrones episodes leaked, but you're still going to be the highest rated show on TV on Sunday. So why are you freaking out about screeners? I mean, I don't know. Allison, do you have any thoughts on this? I feel like maybe I should wait for whatever the third thing is. I really don't think that the third thing influenced their decision making all that much, but you can see how it would have. Okay. Um, but I really don't think it was that. I legitimately think Nickelodeon was just stressed because the youths were getting the episodes too early mm-hmm. um, and weren't watching it with commercials, um, which is weird because when you watched it on Nick.com, there were fewer commercials. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you still had to pay, you still had to like pay back the money to the advertisers because they didn't get the slots that they paid for. I mean, um, it's, yeah. I feel like I shouldn't, you know, uh, be looking at this through lenses of now. Um, but it, because, you know, they're not oracles. You can't blame somebody for not knowing what the future is going to be like. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, wow, is that a misread? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, Hmm. It's hard not to imagine that the show would be much bigger and more profitable for them now if it had had more legs when it aired initially. Like, obviously, uh-huh. it's having a wave right now and it's getting that Netflix bump, um, which is great. Uh, but it is hard not to think that it wouldn't have been a bigger bump. Um, oh, if yeah. they had just done right by the show in the first place. Yeah. Well, yeah, if, if people, the more people who watched it initially, the more people who can go, oh, I remember, I used to watch that when I was a kid. I'm going to show it to my kid, you know, like, and get the Netflix bump that way, which is what's been happening. So, yeah, 100%, Allison, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, it was just such a weird situation. And one of the other things about it that I was just kind of struck by is the fact that, like, they didn't have any other way to, like, release it. Like, they just had their website because it was Viacom. Mm-hmm. Um, and individual, individual, like streaming platform, company based streaming platforms just weren't in the ether yet. Um, and you couldn't just drop it on Netflix. Um, though I will say that books one and two at this point were available on prime video through Amazon, at least book one was, um, so people could watch if they had a prime membership, they could watch that one for free. Um, but I think book two came out sometime on Prime for free at that point, but books three and four were never available on Prime to my knowledge. Um, but books one and two were, um, which again, it's just really weird streaming license things that continue to this day. But at this point in time, we're just weird, mm. just really weird. Well, Marcus wants to know, so it was also one of the first five or ten streaming shows. And, I mean, if you're talking about non-independent or YouTube kind of things, um, as far as, like, a, a a main show or, like, a, you know, that kind of thing, yeah, it was pretty early. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, when you think about, like, House of Cards and House of Cards had already premiered, because um, I think I was writing about book three after I'd moved out of my mom's house, I'm pretty sure. Um, that was 2014. Yeah, I didn't move down by then. Um, and so, yeah, it was probably one of those, ex- because like House of Cards already existed. I think Orange is the New Black had already started. Longmire had definitely already existed and been on Netflix. Um, Longmire, right? Or am I thinking of Lily Hammer? I uh, you might be thinking too. Yeah, very different. One about the yeah. like Western sheriffs, one about that guy from The Sopranos going to Lily Hammer. Yeah. Um, House of Cards. 
dropped in at the beginning of February in 2013. So yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, Marcus, this was probably one of the first ones to be like streaming only, but in a very sort of weird way of thinking about it. Like you could argue that like some of like, it depends on how you want to find it. Cause there are like those webisode episodes of Battlestar Galactica um, that kind of comprised like a mini season. Um, but that was transmedia storytelling. That wasn't the thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Marcus, that I never really considered before. Um, and definitely core is not in that conversation about that kind of a streaming history in part because it originally aired on TV first, which is why we don't count Lily hammer as the first Netflix original. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was on TV first for like a season or however, whichever show I'm thinking of <laughs> that predates House you're, of you're thinking, you're thinking of Lily hammer. I I'm pretty uh-huh. sure. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for that information and that, that yeah. context, Noel. Um, are you ready for our episodes for tomorrow? We're, tomorrow we'll be talking about Chapter 9, or Episode 9, The Stakeout, and Episode 10, Long Live the Queen. So, Allison, predictions. Okay, well... I've kind of tipped my hand a little bit on Episode 10, so I apologize for that. Oh, no, That's you okay. didn't. You're fine. Uh, I'm not gonna joke about that one um uh i'm gonna i was trying to think about what would nickelodeon not want to air that someone could reasonably think about including um don't 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 worry about that too much like i had i was like what is Noel talking about and i was like oh yeah oh yeah i could see how they wouldn't like that yeah okay that makes sense i'm guessing that we get a character death that's my guess. Okay. Um, in Long Live the Queen. Live, die, etc. Uh, h- however, based on the title of the next one, I assume this is going to be a lot like The Sting and that we're going to get promised <sighs> something really cool and fun and like procedurally and then it's not actually going to happen. Um, so I'm my prediction for The Sting is that there will not be a sting. Stakeout. The, the, the prediction out. for the stakeout is that Mako is going to be useless. Yes, my prediction. But he was for- so helpful. He was an actual good cop in this episode. He was my. And actually, you know what? We'll let's spread the blame a little bit. We'll say that um, they're preparing for their stakeout, which then doesn't happen because Bolin thinks, "Ooh, I got that other shot off. I bet I can get this one up." And jumps out of the place they're hiding and yells, "Bolin time!" And then hits somebody in the forehead with a tiny pebble. Okay, but they aren't a combustion vendor, so it doesn't matter. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Well, Noel, anything else you would like to tease? No, I feel like I've teased too much. Okay. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, so, oh yeah, I'll leave it there too. And tomorrow we'll be back to talk about episodes 9 and 10. So thank you to Marcus for hanging with us in the Zoom today. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.